Welcome, everybody, to the latest Breaking Big Blue. I'm your host, Jordan Ronan, ESPN, ESPN.com Giants reporter. And this is the week where we're going in and the New York Giants are favorites. This is the week of the favorites. You know, the Giants on the up and up, right? It only took, what is this, uh, they're 12 games in, but there's that bye week. So week 14 of the season and they're finally pretty clear favorites. They, they, they're playing better. They won three out of four. They beat the Chicago Bears. Granted, with Chase Daniel as a starter, and he's terrible. Uh, if you watched that game, you saw that pretty clearly. But a good win nonetheless. And there was some positives to take from that, right? I mean, look, do we want the Giants off an overtime win against at home against Chase Daniel and the Bears? To start thinking, hey, this is, they really have something going here, that this team is, is, you know, closer than most of us believe. No. But, are there positives to take from winning late in the season, developing a culture that involves winning, um, building on some perceived strengths, maybe, that they can have going forward? I think these are all positives for the Giants. Now, the downside, and you know, people, some people, I don't think most people, when it gets to Sunday, want the Giants really to lose. In the big picture, maybe it sounds good and it, it's all fine and dandy, and you're like, you know what, it's probably better off if they lose. But when Sunday comes, the competitive juices get flying, and, and you want them to win. The downside is afterwards, you look at it and you say, darn it, their draft pick. I think this week they're what six or seven in the draft order. I mean. You really don't know exactly where they're, but they're in that range, right? Because there it goes by strength of schedule, these tiebreakers at the end. And the Giants right now are in a big glob of teams. They're in a glob of seven teams with four wins, right? Some of them have ties, so the Giants technically are worse than them, like the Packers and the Browns. But they're in a glob of seven teams right now with four wins. There is, let's see, one, two, three, four teams that are worse. So the Giants could be anywhere from between, what, 5 and 12, right? The 5th pick and 12th pick. And uh, right now the, the 49ers, the Cardinals, the Raiders, and the Jets are the four worst. They're the four worst teams. They're the only teams that have less than four wins. So, you know, the Giants, the more they keep winning, the more they potentially could fall in that order. You know, they they let's see, they're, they're four games left. If they happen to have win three of the last four and finish seven and nine, I mean, they're going to be drafting in the middle of the first round. Right? That's reality. Then getting a quarterback in the middle of the first round is a lot harder. Then it's really going to cost a lot if there's one or two guys coming out. And people like them. We'll get to that in a little bit. You know, namely Herbert and Dwayne Haskins. So, yes, it, you got to balance it. There's benefits of winning, but there's also the downside of winning as well. In the big picture, because the Giants, uh, even though their division's not great, they're not making the playoffs. So the ESPN, uh, you know, anal- analytics people have them at less than one percent to win a division. So uh, we don't, we're not even going to address that more than the uh, that the two seconds that I just did right there. Less than one percent. Okay, I know some people want to be super optimistic. My boy Hittel, but you know, no. No, I'll take the 99.9% side of the situation every time. Every time. Okay? So, 30-27 overtime victory. Let's get into some of the things we could take away from this week and moving forward. Some of the good-bad, right? 
The good part of it is Saquon Barkley and the rushing attack. You really got to like what you saw. They finished with 141 yards. Right, This is a Bears defense that's averaging about 90 yards a game. Second-ranked run defense. And what did the Giants do in the second half? They ran for like 120 yards. Okay? That was impressive. That was the one thing I left there saying, you know what? They're doing something here on the ground. Now, it's in part because this is how the Giants came out of the bye week and they said this is how we have to play. We're going we're gonna to have to play as a running team and build our offense around the running game, which isn't ideal in today's NFL, but it's what they have right now. It's essentially they're working around their quarterback, the fact that he they, they and their offensive line, and they don't think that he they can perform at a really high level consistently, as we've seen, because the Giants often stunk in the first half with that in a few minutes. But, God, was it awful, like embarrassing awful. But uh, the learning to win. Well, let's go back for a second. Let's talk about Saquon Barkley, okay? Just a tremendous player. And by the time you hear this podcast, you'll probably be able to read. I have a story coming out. He's having what's going to end up being among the greatest rookie running back seasons out there. I mean, that's how good this guy is. I mean, he's really good. There's not much he can't do. He could catch the ball. He can line up as a receiver. He's hitting the hole a little bit harder. He could get outside. He could break big runs. He has three 50-yard runs this year for touchdowns, right? Three 50-plus-yard touchdown runs. The Giants had three 50-plus-yard touchdown runs over the previous 10 seasons. And as Russell Shepard told me, the Giants veteran wide receiver, you don't like using the term you know, generational talent, but the Giants really do have two generational players on their offense, which makes it that much more discouraging that they can't sustain consistent offense or not as good as you wish they would be offensively, right? Like, when you have Saquon Barkley, how many quarterbacks would just kill to have an Saquon Barkley and Odell Beckham to work with? Like, the idea that this offense isn't consistently successful is almost hard to fathom. And I'm not putting it all on Eli because the offensive line and pass protection is a problem. And it just you put that combination together and it's a big problem for the Giants. And, and, and you could see in the first half, God, he just they couldn't do anything. Eli's worst half of the season that first half. Uh, for, for worst half of the season. First half. Really bad. But Saquon... And I know people are saying, see, you, you, the, the quarterback, you guys, you still think it's a bad pick? Look, no one ever thought Saquon Barkley was going to be a bust. Right? Everybody knew Saquon Barkley is great. The only question is, are the Giants going to be able to fill the quarterback spot long term? And was this their opportunity? It has very little to do with Saquon Barkley. Right? We all, everybody knew. Like, nobody said Saquon Barkley was a bad player. He's a great player. He had all the boxes checked. But it just happens to be that he plays a position that is fairly easy to fill in comparison to other positions, especially quarterback, which is the hardest position to fill long term. Right? I mean, Saquon Barkley is, I, like, I don't even know, I gotta pull it up, but within 20 yards of, he's third in the NFL in rushing, but fourth is Philip Lindsay, a rookie for the Denver Broncos. And Philip Lindsay, is an undrafted rookie. So it just goes to show, I mean, that that is one of the easier positions to fill in the NFL these days. 
I mean, it really is. It's up there. If you list hardest positions to fill to easiest, running back is way closer to easiest than hardest. It's one of the easiest positions to fill there. It just seems to be so many guys that can play. Now, I know Saquon could do it all, and that's part of the greatness of him. He could catch, and he could run. Some teams just put two guys in there, they put them together, and they try and create a Saquon Barkley combination. And there's different ways to go about it. Now, there's definitely a benefit of having Saquon Barkley is he's better than these other guys. And he could do other things. But without a quarterback, long term, how 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 good can you be? It's a quarterback-driven league. But Saquon Barkley, in general, and he proved it again, I mean... Forget that jumping play because the reality was the jump, you know, the leap or almost leap over a defender while it looked really cool. Well, only was good for what? Gained him two yards? Almost rather him put his shoulder down and go through the guy or just make a movie. He kind of had him one on one. But it, it damn well looked cool. It looked really cool. So you like everything you see from him. And it's definitely, look, he's here. He's on the team. They have to find a quarterback, but Barkley's going to be here. And that's a benefit for this giant team. A big benefit. Him and, and Odell Beckham. Okay? That is a dynamic duo where your offense should be really good. You should be able to slap it around them as long as you have a, a improved version of quarterback and a slightly an improved version of the offensive line. It's gotten better, the offensive line, but still not quite there, especially on the pass protection side. And... This offense should be good going forward. It really should. They've gotten better as the season went along. And I like, I mean, I know a lot of people complain about Pat Shermer and there's things not to like, but I'm telling you, he can scheme guys open. I mean, I was watching the film, even that first half. And Russell Shepard a couple times was running so wide open. I mean, 20 yards downfield, basically by himself across the middle of the field. He even stopped, put his hand in the air and was waving at one play. And there was time on that play, and it, but so I think when it comes to Pat Shermer, there's plenty of complaints. You don't like the you know, some of the decisions he makes, fourth downs, maybe even some of the times that he calls plays, but he could scheme guys open. The way he designs pass plays can get guys open. I mean, they have, there's Giants receivers running open pretty regularly. Whether there's time to get him the ball. Whether the quarterback does get him the ball, those are different questions. Those are different problems. The other thing is, I like the fact that they can learn from this. I mean, the Giants are trying to sell this really hard. And, you know, there's something to be said for it. Is it something to be said for building a winning culture? That guys can build on going forward. If you win... Late in the season, I know it's not going to get them to the playoffs. 99.9% chance it's not going to do them good in that regard. But it'll make them feel good, give them optimism that this team is heading in the right direction, that some of the pieces are there, that and they learn how to win, learn what it's necessary to win the tight games. This is important. I, I do think so. So there is some benefit. Does In the end, big picture-wise, does it outweigh the losing spot, uh, significant uh, draft capital by moving into the middle of the first round? Probably not. I'd probably rather, rather have at this point the really high draft pick, but that's not to say there isn't benefit of winning. 
I also like what I'm seeing from Janaris Jenkins and Olivier Vernon lately. Janaris Jenkins is playing much better. He said he had a surgery in the offseason, and that's kind of why he started. So he was very up and down. But he's played much better the last couple weeks, and I think you're seeing reasons why Janaris Jenkins is considered a number one cornerback in the NFL. Olivier Vernon, he had two sacks the other day, two quarterback hits, a tackle for a loss. He actually has played now two straight quality games. It was very weird time for Pat Shermer to be critical of him last week because against the Eagles he actually had some he actually had played a pretty good game he had some pressures he didn't get a sack last week but he actually he had the he was in the backfield and he almost took down Carson Wentz and and, and the, kind of the he moved around a little bit Wentz and it created a sack I forget who ended up it was Mario Edwards ended up with the sack and he hit he hit Wentz's arm on another play so the timing of that has been very weird to me. Has Olivier Vernon lived up to his salary and the expectations this year in general? And probably even his time with the Giants so far? No. But very curious time as these probably his best two games of the season were these last two weeks as well. So you like to see that if you're the Giants. It shows that these guys are still trying for Pat Sherman. The special teams also came up big. Aldrick Rosas has been great this year. I'm not sure if I've addressed this that much here on the podcast, but you got to like what Aldrick Rosas has done. I mean, everybody thought this guy was not an NFL kicker last year. They showed confidence in him, um, and it paid off. I mean, he's missed, what, one field goal attempt this year? No extra points? I mean, and you see extra points missed left and right. So he's actually going to be in the running for the Pro Bowl, really. Should be. I don't know if he's going to make it name recognition-wise. He probably isn't going to make it. But he probably deserves it on merit. The only downside is he has a few uh, out-of-bounds kickoffs. But, you know, aside from that, great season so far for Aldrich Rosas. He hit the game-winner 44 yards in overtime. Cool. Right down the middle. Uh, hit a 57-yarder earlier in the game at the end of the first half, which really turned the game. Okay, and that was the longest field goal in Giants history. So, special teams in general. Michael Thomas is the key there, right? Very under that, that that's Dave Gettleman's best move. Michael Thomas, veteran, veteran guy, comes from the Dolphins, plays safety, gives them something there, plays in their sort of big nickel. Probably see more of him this week. A significant much more, significantly more of him this week with Landon Collins not expected to play, but yeah. Michael Thomas is a spectacular special teams guy. He's a spectacular presence in that locker room. You see guys come up to him all the time when we're in the locker room. We're in there for like an hour a day, like five days a week pretty much, four or five days. And you see guys come up to him all the time and asking him questions, like even basic lifestyle, you know, like, hey, what do you do here? What do you, how do you, you know, what do you, you know, financial advice or just life advice or how, you know, special teams meetings or how to study. And Michael Thomas has been the single best addition in free agency by Dave Gettleman. Hands down. Not even close. All right, some things of concern. Giants offense in the first half, brutal. I mean, just brutal. Eli's worst half of the year. Played much better in the second half, They were, you know, but it was built around the run. Uh, this is a running team. They're, they're kind of scheming around Eli at this point, but the first half was a rough one. I mean, uh, they jumped the route. Kyle Fuller for an interception. It was too easy. He basically was, before Odell even started to get into his break, uh, Fuller was in front of him and had already known where the guessed where the ball was going. They did good film work. Sometimes guys make just good plays. That was a pretty good play, uh, but that one's bad. There was a couple almost interceptions thrown behind receivers. Rough half. Second half overtime played much better. Uh, 
Pretty good throw to Sterling Shepard, just an almost. I mean, one in overtime that almost ended the game. That could have been a touchdown. Shepard will probably say he should have caught it. Tough catch laid out. Uh, I wouldn't say it was a terrible throw. I wouldn't say it was a, a, a drop pass. It was just one of those that just missed by like an inch uh, on both regards, on both ends. So, uh, But, yeah, a much better second half. But that first half, and that's the problem with this Giants offense, is they're not really able to sustain consistent offense. The second thing's off schedule, it's it's ruined. And we saw that in the first half, just a total, total mess. They had a, close to 100 total yards and, uh, a turnover. Good thing the defense, uh, actually scored a touchdown for them. And they actually set up another one later on when they gave them really good field position. So really the defense gave them 10 points. So 10 of the 30 came courtesy of the defense. And I know people want to rip the defense. We'll, we'll touch on that later. Uh, Curtis Riley, he's been really bad. And this is on a day where we saw Andrew Adams have three interceptions for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, right? Andrew, uh, Andrew Adams didn't really get a shot. It was so weird. The Giants really never had him in that rotation, never really gave him that first team reps, uh, even like much. He was kind of stuck on the third team this summer. And it was kind of weird, you know, Darian Thompson. It was supposed to be Darian Thompson and Curtis Riley getting that shot at that starting job. Thompson got injured. That kind of derailed his chances, and they just kind of handed it to Curtis Riley. He's been terrible, dropped an interception, missed a couple tackles in the game, and the missed tackles has been a huge thing for him this year. So uh, the Giants obviously have to address that position this offseason. Got to figure out what to do at uh, free safety. Maybe we'll, we're going to see more Sean Chandler, I believe, here as the season goes along, undrafted rookie out of Temple. So we'll see what he can do. But I'm not sure that's the long-term answer either. So Giants are going to have to find something at that position. And then uh, the other bad coming from that game and from the Monday night game is now we have to sit there. We have to watch this Sunday a game between Eli Manning, at 37, 38 years old in this Giants offense, which has been up and down, and Mark Sanchez. That's where we're at. Two teams that are pretty much not in the playoff race because I'm considering the Washington Redskins dead, right? I mean, they're on their third-string quarterback, just totally dead and buried, okay? I'm not giving them any chance to win this division. The Giants are have like a point zero one chance. I'll give, I'll give the Redskins... A one percent chance, a little better because they're you know, they got two more wins right now, uh, but yeah, they're in huge trouble. Uh, and now they're playing Mark Sanchez likely against the Giants, and we have to watch that. Now the question here is, and this is the big the big deal going forward, right? The Giants want to play Kylo Letta. They want to see him at some point. They kind of don't want to be stuck in the same boat they were in last year. And I've heard this from multiple angles. But they also want to be sensitive to Eli Manning, right? They they want to be respectful to a guy that has done so much for the organization. And that, that, that people inside the organization genuinely like and respect. So they don't want to just toss him to the side and, and you know, embarrass isn't the right word, but have him just sit there and it'll be sad and, and you know, just have him sit there while the offense can't do anything and and just have him throw him to the side and say, yo, you're done, we're out of here, we're moving on. So they're very respectful about how they're going to move forward here. And they don't want to close the door on the possibility, hey, maybe he will be our best option next year because there's no real bridge, they don't believe at least, that there's a real bridge that's better than Eli if they could do something at, at a reduced price. 
So there's no reason to close that door right now. So they're very careful about how they're going to handle this moving forward. There's four games left. Now, the Giants winning over the Bears are upsetting the Bears probably threw the plan into a loop a little bit, right? Threw it upside down a little bit. If they, if they were as bad as they were in the first half and the second half, it would have been perfect to say, okay, we're just, you know, we, we feel like we need to take a look at Kyle at this point. It's best for our organization. Uh, they could have played Eli in the, in the finale, gave Loletta a couple games, but now they're still officially not eliminated from playoff contention. They've won three out of four. Manning most likely gives them the best chance to win, right? Over an undrafted rookie, fourth, not undrafted, but a fourth round rookie from Richmond who was active for the first time this week. And so he's they're going to keep going in that direction. And if they keep winning and they're favored now this week, imagine this, right? The Giants start opened at two and a half, I'm sorry. Yeah, a two and a half point underdog. That was the original line before the Redskins played on Monday night. But then uh, Colt McCoy gets injured. Mark Sanchez goes in, and now Mark Sanchez is set to play. This week, the line is now Giants favored by three and a half. So imagine that jump. That's a huge jump. So now they're favored to win again. Now if they win this game, that's four out of five. It's going to be hard, especially if they're not mathematically eliminated, then from going and switching over. So Eli's going to play again the following week against the Titans. And there's two after that. It's the uh, in Indy. And against the Cowboys in the finale. And you kind of want that finale to be a potential goodbye. You at least, you know, you want the fans to at least say thank you to Eli. Just in case it happens to be that last game. Of A, his Giants career, or B, his career in general. So, the opportunities have now dwindled. We'll see how it goes. The Giants want to get Lolette in, but they don't really want to put him in if they're still winning. If they're, st- if they're not officially eliminated. So we'll see how this sort of plays out. It's an interesting, it'll be an interesting test for the organization and for Pat Shermer. Cause Shermer, when it came out last week and said, why are you guys overlooking Alex Tanny? Who's been the backup for the first, who was the backup for the first 12 weeks of the season? Right? Why are you guys overlooking Alex Tanny? And the next thing you know, four days later, he's got, uh, Kylo Letta, the rookie jumping Alex Tanny. Makes you wonder if there was a conversation with ownership at that point saying, look, we don't really want to make that same mistake again. We've admitted already that we, quote unquote, mishandled the situation. We kind of don't want to do that again. Let's try and get this guy into games sooner rather than later. Please. Thank you. Now, with the way the Giants operate, and this is always my interpretation of things, is that it's not a mandate from ownership, but they sort of lay out the situation logically and then let the coach make the decision. But I think it's sort of like giving him a nudge. Not a nudge, a nudge. And next thing you know, Kylo Lett is the backup. He's going to be the backup again this week, most likely, according to Shermer, which means most definitely Barring some kind of incident, who knows? We've seen that before with his driving. But, yeah. So that's where we stand on the quarterback situation. And it's something to keep an eye on moving forward. Because we all know the Giants need to address their quarterback of the future. Their quarterback of the future. 
They need to find what they're going to do at that position. Getting additional information on Kyle Oletta, who's a draft pick this year, while likely not the solution, would be information that could be valuable moving forward regardless. It doesn't matter how much it is. It's something. Any information is good information moving forward. So that's where we stand on that. All right. Let's get to uh, the next segment here. We'll talk about, well, well, you know what? We'll take your questions. On to the next one. It's that time of the podcast where we answer all your deepest, darkest questions with my favorite segment, Giants After Dark. All right, let's start with James Myers at Myers7899. He says, with the Giants winning games and slipping farther away from the number one pick, what are the chances they restructure Eli's contract and roll with him and Loletta at quarterback and take a stud offensive lineman? I think it's a possibility. I mean, the thing with Eli, right, is that restructure part. That would have to be something that they do, right? You, Joe Banner, who was a former executive in this league, he I saw him say this recently. You don't want the. It's not that it's hard to win with a stud quarterback if you're paying him a lot of money, you know, compared to a cheap rookie, a cheap quarterback on a rookie deal, right? You can win either way. The problem is when you have a mediocre quarterback and you're paying him a lot of money, right? Which essentially would be the case if you brought Eli back at full, you know, at the full value. He's not a top quarterback. But he'd be getting paid, counting at least against the cap, twenty over twenty million dollars a year. Was it twenty three point two? I think that's his number next year. So that is just a non negotiable to me, or should be to the Giants. Can't have him back at twenty three point two million dollars against the salary cap. That doesn't make sense for anybody. Okay, I mean it makes sense for Eli if he comes back. I mean they want to pay him, you know, the seventeen million they owe him. That'd be great, but. They have to be, he has to be realistic. And if the Giants do want him to come back, it's going to have to be at a reduced price. Now, do they really want to enter another season with Eli and Kylo Oletta, right? First of all, if that's the case, then it certainly makes sense right now to take a look at Kylo Oletta to see if you could trust him to be your backup in the game and see if you can trust him to potentially play or, you know, at least battle for a starting job next year. But to me, that still leaves you in the spot where, look, I'm not saying I wouldn't do it. It depends the quarterbacks that come out. But you're still sitting there looking for your quarterback of the future. You don't have him on your roster most likely because the chances of a fourth-round pick being the guy are, what, 15%? So that's an 85% chance of not having that guy. And then you're sitting there and you, you wait another year to start making those real plans. I and mean, then it takes a year. It takes probably two years for that quarterback to sort of get caught up. And now we're talking like four or five years between last year, this year, next year, you know, and then two years after that, before that quarterback's caught up, you're talking about five years of being in no man's land. Not ideal. Not ideal. But the offensive line obviously still needs to be addressed, whether it's in free agency or in the draft and uh, you know it's a possibility if they have if they're in that situation you know where they're drafting in the middle of the first round that's probably going to be around where those offensive linemen go 
the top offensive linemen. So uh, I, I could see I could see that happening. If they can't get the top quarterbacks, so they don't like any of the top quarterbacks. Uh, you bring Eli back. I think it's a, it's a possibility. I don't think it's there's a lock of anything at this point. They're going to leave up in all their quarterback possibilities and see where they can go this offseason. But uh, yeah, that's a possibility. I, I, w- I would think. Caster Fagan says, "Why do you harp on the offense, especially quarterback, when that is clearly not the issue? Most points scored in the NFC East, especially now that the line allows for a good run pass attack. Okay, if the defense were good, most points allowed, G men would clearly have a winning record. Well, the reason is because this team was built around its offense. We knew the defense wasn't going to be good. This team needed their offense to be really good." Right? They were set up to have a really good offense. And they have all the weapons there. Right? They're built around their weapons. Look at their first round picks and second round picks the last couple of years. Right? Evan Ingram. Odell Beckham. Sterling Shepard. Okay? Saquon Barkley. These are, all those picks are offense. So this team is, look, this team never had an expectation to have a good defense. They actually basically, tore down their defense this year, especially with the trades in the middle of the season. So they needed their offense to be good. That's why the attention is on the offense. And the game is built around offense. There's only a few teams that really have that defense that they could build on and win them games. And on top of that, if you really want to go look at it, the Giants' defense was keeping them games, and they're not very good. I agree with you. But they were keeping them in tons of games earlier this year. Look at the first two games they lost. 20 points allowed. Again, week one against Jacksonville. 20 points week two. 22 points in week three. All right, then they let up 33 and 31 against the Panthers and Saints, okay? Overmatched in those games. But they, you know, and 34, sorry, against the Eagles. So there was that stretch where they, you know, they were exposed because they're not very good. But then again, 23 points against the Falcons. 20 against the Redskins. So now we're talking about four games, okay, where they allowed 20 Three points or less. And the Giants lost. In today's NFL, you need to win with your offense more often than not. So that's why we're harping on the offense and the quarterback. Next question. Josh Halpern at JS Halps, who I know personally and is in my fantasy football league. What is your confidence level in winning your fantasy football season? And will you pick Barnacle Bills for the Champions Dinner if you do? Yeah, funny one. But uh, with the Barnacle Bills reference there. But... Here's the deal, right? In our fantasy league, my team, which is the Killers, number one seed overall. By the way, lost my point total by half. I know nobody really wants to hear about your fantasy team, but lost my point total, which is for $700, by half a point. Very disappointing. Chris Boswell misses misses an extra point in the Sunday night game. Basically cost me several hundred dollars and the points total. Just unbelievable. Okay, but as for the dinner, that's the thing. Everyone has their thing with their league. Ours is if you make the champions dinner, then you get to choose a restaurant of your choice. And you're only allowed at the dinner if you've won a championship. And I've never won a fantasy championship. So I will be taking all suggestions for dinners, quality dinner spots, New York, New Jersey. For my champions dinner, which I'm hoping to win. I'm thinking about Carbones. I don't know if a lot of any, a lot of you or any of you have been to Carbones in the city. Awesome Italian food. Or I do like, uh, like the, some of the, uh, restaurants in Newark. The, uh, seafood kind of spots. The, uh, Fornos and stuff of the world. I don't know if anyone's ever been there. 
get the lobster at four nose. I, I think that I think that might be my one of my top options. But I'm taking I'm open to suggestions because I'm going to win this year. This is the year. Finally, take it down. Relying on Christian McCaffrey and Adam Thielen. Okay, let's go, boys. Next question. Jack O'Hara at Booyakasha18 says, Where do you rank Shermer as a coach in the NFL? And do you think he can become a top coach? Or is his losing record reflect his ability? I think right now, I, look, Pat Shermer's not the worst coach in the NFL. He's also not the best. He's probably somewhere near the middle. The jury's out on how good he's going to be. I think he has potential as an offensive coach specifically. You see a lot I've talked about it before. A lot of the... Uh, Guys, instead, he's able to scheme open the way he he's adjusted. I have questions about his time management and some of his uh, uh, decisions to go for it and when to go for it. And uh, but in general, I think it's been a decent rookie year for him. First year, I shouldn't say rookies; he's been a coach before. First year as head coach of the Giants, so somewhere in the middle would be my answer to that. At DS no, Tothoff, okay, I don't know how the heck to pronounce that. Dwayne Haskins or defensive player? Are they punting next year and going all in on Tua from in the latter? Well, th- here's the thing. You can't punt and go all in on Tua, who's the quarterback at Alabama, and Jake Fromm, the quarterback at Georgia, the following year because you have no idea. The Giants aren't going to, shouldn't be that bad as long as, uh, Saquon Barkley and Odell Beckham are on their roster. They're going to win them games. So, you can't, you can't bank on punting. You know, the, into the next season. So, and uh, Dwayne Haskins, by the way, I think has been impressive so far. The Giants need a pass rusher, so I think that is also will also be an intriguing thing. If they can't get a quarterback, I think the pass rusher will be next on their wish list. So, I think that is a distinct possibility. There's some good ones in this draft. And Dwayne Haskins, you ask about. I really like what I've seen from him in the last over the last month. Uh, I've, he's really grown on me. I wasn't so sure about him, but I've seen him watch probably like a. Well, I've seen him play about a handful of times, and uh, I kind of do like him. I, I really think he's the new age kind of quarterback. He moves, but he doesn't really run. Big arm. Uh, seem just seems to do everything pretty well. I'm, I'm pretty high on him at this point. I'm almost even to the point where I think he might even be a better. Uh, prospect than Herbert. I haven't talked to a lot of scouts and stuff about quarterbacks yet, but that's just my own personal opinion, and I'm not a professional scout, so we'll see about that. At Booker Book D2, true or false, Gettleman in the front office are more likely to believe that the first half of the season represents the truth of this roster much more than the second half. Uh, I would hope that it is true. That they, they don't fall into that trap again. I think that's the case. I've talked to people, heard from people. Uh, they understand that this roster needs major work. So I think they understand that the team is not especially close to competing for a Super Bowl. Are they maybe think they can, you know, be better next year and be a playoff competitor? Yes. Do I think they're, they're under the delusion that they can be a Super Bowl contender? No. I think they're, they've realized that that, that, that ship has sailed. Uh, Kay Huvane asked me on Instagram, since we're rebuilding and we need draft picks, where do you think some of the marquee players on the Giants stand this offseason? Jenkins, Ingram, Sword, uh, Vernon. Can these guys be turned into solid draft picks so we can trade up for Herbert or be focused on drafting a quarterback next year? Uh, Evan Ingram is the only one who really has value. Okay. Janars Jenkins, minimal. Uh, I think when I asked around, what, fourth, fifth round pick was, was the idea for him at the, 
trade deadline. So Janoris Jenkins doesn't have huge value moving forward. Olivier Vernon doesn't really have any value. Price, uh, injury production, uh, that, that he's the most likely to be released this offseason. Jenkins, you have to remember, they moved some money back. They gave him a, a, a bonus, a roster bonus earlier this year. And so some of that money, Basically, dead money has now been moved back. So to me, that was an indication. I'll get into the details of that later on, the exact amount. To me, that was a slight indication that maybe they intended to keep him moving forward. And now he's played better in recent weeks. He hasn't given up on the season. His effort has been pretty good. I think the likelihood is that he stays. Ingram is the most likely probably to leave because you could see where this is heading. They ha- they're not, uh, they haven't been that high on him. Uh, his blocking has made him put him actually even before he was injured to the point where he wasn't in the full-time 90% tight end role. So that definitely needs to be taken into consideration. All right, one more. Peter F08. He has a two-part question here. I'm just going to go with the uh, second part of this question because it was a really long question. The first part was really about the from Tua part, which I think I kind of addressed earlier. Uh, so the second part is what we're going to do here. And he says, do you feel like the Giants are less disciplined under Sherman than they were under McAdoo? Uh, I feel like the penalties piling up on them this year. Uh, I don't think that's accurate. I know some people have said that, um, but it doesn't feel that that's the case this year, right? Here's the team penalties per game, right, this year, 2018. The Giants are... 7.1. So they're 23rd in the league. It's not good. It's not bad. Last year, uh, you know what? You're right. Last year, they were 5.7. Uh, so yeah, you know what? There you go. They have committed more penalties. See, you, you, you brought it up to me. I didn't realize that. I thought they had been pretty much around the same number and they had been up until the recent weeks. I guess the last three or four, five weeks. The penalties have kind of piled up on them, especially in that defensive backfield, it seems like. Uh, but, yeah. So, yeah, you know what? That's something definitely to keep an eye on. You, you do put that partly on coaching, but let's see if that's something that could be fixed, right? That as they go along, that they could be better at that. I think right now, to me, a lot of that is just their talent efficiency, especially on the uh, front lines, the offensive line, and then the back end of the defense. So, uh, but good point there, Peter. I appreciate you bringing that up to me. And, uh, Definitely something I guess you, you're probably right about is that this team does need to be have a little more discipline and that they are piling up on them. And that's it, the Giants After Dark for this week. And uh, thank you all for the questions. Make sure you send them to me anytime, anywhere, on any platform, Instagram, uh, Twitter, email, whatever you find, wherever you can reach me, feel free. On to the next one. Let's do a little Jordan on the beat. you got to think of some other questions, my goodness. I know a lot of you guys, you always say, what's your vendetta with Eli? Why do you hate Eli? And I, I always tell you, I don't think that's true. I actually like Eli personally, right? I think he's a, a good guy. and uh, you know. But I try to be a realist here. I'm covering a team that's losing. The quarterback is the most important position, the most influential position. And I don't think he's playing pretty well. And I wrote that earlier this week, earlier this year. I think it was... Uh, like week five or six and I wrote something and it was very, pretty, very critical of Eli. I called people around the league and asked what they thought and really nobody was very high on him. They all, they all thought he was pretty much done. So I wrote it and, uh, you know, it was critical and basically said he, he should be done as quarterback of the Giants and 
Look, if there's one person that I would say does not read stuff for, you know, look at stuff very often, it's Eli Manning. Now, does PR sometimes bring stuff to their attention? Of course. That's the way it works with the coach. That's the way it works with players, some players. And just so they know what's being talked about, what's out there. And so earlier this year, right after I write that piece about Eli, you know, we're talking at a press conference and I ask him a question. I think it was, uh, you know, the touchdowns are up across the league in general. I think at that time they had like six and six games. And I said, you know, why, why do you think you're, you know, you guys haven't been able to sort of do the same as the rest of the league. And he said uh, a rare Eli opportunity where he sort of you, you sense that there's anger, right? He's usually so mellow, calm, knows how to handle everything, handles it like a pro. Turned and he said, I don't know. You tell me. And then just went back and started answering other other questions again. So a rare crack in the armor for Eli Manning of showing that, hey, there was probably some frustration there. He didn't like the, you know, maybe what I what I wrote. And I understand that. I'm not I don't expect him to like that I'm writing that he's essentially I think that people around the league and I think that he's done. Right? And and back it up with statistics and all this other stuff. Yeah, that was the one of the things that was a prerequisite there is like, look, we don't want to write this and just slam him. Like it has to be backed up by statistics and uh quotes from people if there if that was the way that the story was gonna go, that you know, they thought he was done. And that's pretty much what it ended up being. So just to show you the kind of guy he is and, you know, my relationship with him, we have it's a total working relationship, you know? There's no ill will. I actually like Eli Manning as an individual. And I appreciate this about him. I wrote a story about Plaxico Burris in the 2008 Giants, uh, ran last week. So I had to go up and, you know, I went to Eli and I said, you on the side and I said, you have, you have a minute to talk to me. I'm writing about the 2008 team and like the quality guy that he is and the professional that he is gave me a couple minutes, talked about the 2008 team and, you know, like, and this is how he operates. Yes, he got mad, you know, probably after I wrote that piece. And had that moment of uh, anti-Eli-like behavior, which is fine. That's part of the deal. If you're going to write things about people, you can't expect them to always like it. You know, that's part of the job. And that's what you want to be there. You want to be there in front of them. You want to be there asking them questions because you don't want to just write something negative about someone and then not be there for them to say anything to you if they want to say, I I appreciate when guys say to me, hey, I think you were wrong on this. I I don't think you're going, you're, you're barking up the right tree. Here's why, blah, 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 this and that. So with Eli Manning in this case, to me, that was important. And the, and the fact that he responded the way he did, that's fine. I mean, that's part of my job and that's part of his job. He's, he could do that if he wants. And then the fact that he's able to sit there and have a conversation with me moving forward and had the same professional relationship that we always did, that's what you appreciate about him. And that's partly why he's so well-liked. So the idea that I don't like him and that he doesn't like me, maybe he doesn't behind the scenes. He doesn't love some of the things I do. I think he understands what my job is, and we respect each other, and we have a you know good quality working relationship where we you know both do what we got to do to do our jobs as, as best as we can. And part of his job is handling the media, and he's awesome at it. Really good at it. Knows how to do it. He's uh, after every he, one thing Eli Manning does. It's really awesome. He talks on Mondays, 
right? But only after losses. Like, he's make sure that after a loss, he's going to be the guy that goes out there and stands there and takes the hit, basically, and answers all the questions the day after a loss. After a game, all players are supposed to be made available. The day after, Eli Manning makes himself available. And he pretty much has always done that. So that is a really admirable admirable thing. So that's kind of how it works behind the scenes. Uh, you know, it's a funny story. Peyton Manning did the thing on ESPN Plus about him, and he broke down his brother. And I went up to Eli and talked to him then, too. I asked him on the side. and said, hey, you, you hear about your brother doing this thing, blah, blah, blah. And he said... Yeah, he actually said it hadn't published at that time. He said, "Yeah, he sent me he sent me the thing." And I said, "So you, he had so he like makes a comment. Said, I'm not gonna, I haven't watched this, this show yet, and I'm probably not gonna watch this episode either." Which just shows you how little he pays attention to stuff. Even if his brother's doing it, he hadn't watched anything his brother had done in regards to breaking down quarterbacks. And his brother broke down him, and he said he still wasn't gonna watch it. He said he looked at the clip; it was like twenty, thirty minutes, and he was like, "Nah." I'm not going to watch that. Like maybe if it was short, it was a real short, like couple minute clip, he would have watched it. He saw it was 20, 30 minutes and he's like, nah, forget that. <laughs> he just went on to the next thing. That, that, that's, that just seems to me to be, to exemplify Eli Manning. Like he, he, he is just goes about his business, worries about himself and is really not into the whole public thing. So, all right, finish this episode up. I'll make a quick skins giants prediction. Giants. As the favorites, I'm taking the Giants. How about that? 23-16 over Mark Sanchez and the Redskins cover the three and a half points. I just can't see the Redskins doing anything really offensively if Mark Sanchez plays or whoever else plays. Uh, the Redskins don't even have good weapons. Their, their team, their offense is just shot. Their offensive line is done. They're on like their 17 string guard. Forget the Redskins. They, they're, they're an inferior team right now. The team they're going to put out there this week. Than the Giants roster wise. So Giants 23 16, even though it's on the road, make it four out of five for the Giants. And that's it for this episode of Breaking Big Blue. I'm your host, Jordan Ronan. See you next time.